you have to understand, the way I make through a lot of things is laughter. The way I make through a lot of difficult places in my life has been I'm able to find something to laugh about in the midst of all those moments when you want to cry. And when crying's not appropriate for me right now, so I'm not going to do it in front of you. <laughs> um, hey, we're going to continue our, and an appropriate uh, message title, by the way, but we're going to continue our series on the game of life. And today, we're going to talk about a life of joy. And a life of joy is an interesting thought. It's a, it's a great equation for us to think through and to, to you know, implement in our lives. And I'm going to set up the background for you for Philippians chapter 4, because that's where we're going to be, is Philippians 4. And, you know, this game of life and this whole series we've done really is just tracking through what life brings us. And to be honest, there are times in our lives when things aren't the way we want them to be, and we still need to have joy. There's times in our lives where things are better than we think they ought to be, And there's moments where our emotions bring us joy. And so there's both equations there, like like here. My wife wants me to mention this, and I just found a way to weave it into the story. So here it is. Look, there's moments of joy as a parent, right? Because your kid qualifies with his team to go to a state bowling championship, right? Okay, so Matt's going to state bowling. So... And is, they're going as a team, which they haven't done for three years, and, and it's pretty cool. And so this Thursday, Wichita, North Rock Lanes, hopefully Matt will win a state championship. That would be cool. Then there'll be a, some joy. Okay? There's joy one way or the other. To be honest, see, you know, so, so when you think about it, there's things where you experience stuff. There's moments in your life where there's, where there's joy that's going to happen, and that's going to be an emotion that's going to come, and, you know, birth of children and, you know, just graduation from high school and college. And there's moments of joy, and those are going to be places. But the key for the follower of Jesus is to have joy when there may not be reason for it. Because that's the sign of the power of God in our lives, is when there's joy and circumstances don't always bring it. So we're going to talk about that. So let's look at Philippians chapter 4 to set it up. Here it is. The story is this. Paul has been a Christian for about 30 years at this point. And about 11 years prior, he planted a church in Philippi. He hadn't been there for almost four years. He'd had a rough go of things. In fact, he'd been shipwrecked, beaten, homeless, left for dead, and left adrift on the sea. At this point in the story, he finds himself in prison, facing the prospect of execution. And his life is really complicated. Amazingly enough, he's been gone from the church at Philippi for about four years, and he's in prison. And news comes to him that the church is going through some difficulties and needs some encouragement. So Paul writes this letter to tell them, to hang in there. It's going to be okay. He writes from his jail cell to his friends at the church at Philippi to encourage them and to strengthen them. And we're going to talk about how joy can be found. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive 
for my worth. The first thought about joy is joy is found in changed lives. Paul, again, is writing this letter to the church at Philippi, reminding them of his love for them. Can you imagine the, 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 the affection that Paul is writing this with? He, he's writing and, and, and is encouraging them to remain faithful to God in the midst of difficult situations, in the midst of difficult moments. He, they're facing persecution from outside the church. They're facing some struggles inside the church. And he's saying, look, don't get sidetracked by all that other stuff. Don't get sidetracked by the struggles you're going through. Don't go get sidetracked by the difficulty you're in, the things that are happening outside of the church, things that are happening in the church. Don't get sidetracked by that. And that's true for us today as well. We can't get sidetracked even by good things that are around us. Some good things that come along are just distractions that keep us from accomplishing what God really wants us and needs us to do. Joy is closely related to gladness and happiness. It's kind of a joint deal. But joy often is more than a state of an emotion. It's just not just that. It's a result of a choice. And we're going to talk about this more as we go along. Now, having joy should be the experience of the follower of Jesus. Joy should come because we're followers of Christ. Look, Paul's writing this, and he's saying... The Philippian people, to them, he's saying, you are my joy. You, because your lives are changed, because you've chosen to follow Jesus, you're the joy of my life. And I'm telling you, that is an incredible moment in all of our lives. And we're part of people coming to follow Christ. When we're, in, when we're part of bringing them closer to Jesus, I'm telling you, that's going to bring joy into your life. As you're, you're responsible and you're helping and you're facilitating somebody coming closer to Jesus, joy is going to rise up within your life. So joy comes in changed lives. But Paul explains a little bit further. He says, the Philippians... They're the crown he's wearing. Now, I, I want you to, I want to bring it right to home for you. Any Royals fans looking forward to baseball season starting? Okay, okay. Now, if you're not a Royals fan, too bad. Here's the deal. A, a, a year ago, well, it wasn't even a whole year, but last season, toward the end of last season, the Royals theme was what? Take the crown. Honestly, that's what God is wanting every one of us as followers of Jesus to do. He's wanting every one of us to take the crown. What's the crown? The crown that Paul's talking about is the people that he was responsible for bringing to Christ. Look, every one of us ought to be thinking about the crown, the people that we're going to have an impact on bringing to know Jesus. That would be incredible. It's way better than any kind of sports championship, World Series. It, even for KU fans, you can gloat over the 12 championships in a row, but they don't mean a whole lot in the scheme of things. Hey, look, I'm a KU fan, but bottom line is it doesn't really matter. 12 big 12 championships in a row, it's a nice achievement, and it's really crazy to do it. But that's not the crown I want to work for. I want to work for the crown of people who are followers of Jesus. We ought to be working toward a crown from the people that we're instrumental in seeing come to faith. Joy is found in another thing. Joy is found in unity. In, in, in verse 2, it says, Now I appeal to you, you Oidia and Sintite, please 
because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Now, I don't know what causes a disagreement. I don't even know, and we don't know, who the guy Paul is referencing here. He's saying, hey, my true partner, we don't know who he's talking to. He's saying to help the two women to figure out how to solve this disagreement. Now, it's two women here. That's not, in particular, doesn't mean a whole lot. It's just two people having a disagreement. The one of the things is, we don't know what the disagreement was over, but whatever the disagreement was, it wasn't big enough to stop the work of Christ and should not be big enough to stop the work of Christ in the church at Philippi. And so Paul's writing to them saying, look, we've got to solve this. In fact, I think Paul's urging them to settle the disagreement and unity is extremely important in the church. There's some things about unity that that we should strive to be unified in. Okay, here's some ways to look at unity within the church. There's four of them. I'm going to give them to you. Theologically, relationally, missiologically, and philosophically. Now, that's not really that important, but I want to kind of walk through them because unity is very important. There's some things that there's no compromise on. There's some things that we just got to figure out how to navigate that world together, and we don't have to agree. Here's one that we, theologically, we can't, we can't, there's no way we can compromise here. This is it. The big one. It's Jesus. Okay, there's no room for movement with Jesus. Look, if anybody's preaching a gospel other than Jesus was born, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, rose on the third day, and ascended into heaven, there's no other name by which can anyone can be saved. It's through Jesus Christ. It's the only way to get to God. Now, there's no movement there. Okay, we, we can't find alignment and agreement any other place. Jesus said it himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's what he said. And so there's no, there's no way to, 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 to make concessions along that theological line. There, there might be other places we could disagree theologically that aren't salvation-type issues. They, they're big. They're, we might have disagreement on them, but we can partner up and connect with other churches in our community and work together. And, and, and things would be like end-time events. Okay, that, that would be, you know, th- there might be some places there that, that, you know, people can believe something different, it, you know, b- and we're going to be okay there. Th- another is this, I mean, you know, we're a Pentecostal church. We believe in the operation, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you aren't sure about that, but like coming to church here and want to be a part of what we're doing, th- th- that's great. But we aren't going to change. We're going to be a Pentecostal church. It's not a salvation issue, but Pentecost is important to us. We're assemblies of God. Pentecost is real. It's just a matter of, it was normative in the first century, and I think it ought to be normal in, in, the, in the 21st century. I think it ought to be the expression of, of the believer. It ought to be who we are, and it ought to empower us to affect others with the power of the gospel. That's what spiritual living is all about. So, okay, so philosophical unity. Philosophical is kind of like the way we do things. It's a little different. Um, You know, it's just, we're not going to be, if if you're familiar with a more liturgical type church, we're just not going to be that. Nothing wrong with people want to be more liturgical. As long as Jesus is the center of everything they're doing, and they do a little different than our way of operation, not a problem. It's fine. It's certain things. If you don't like to laugh, 
you won't like me. Okay, because I'm going to throw things in in the midst of speaking that probably, hopefully, you'll laugh at. If you don't, I'm, this is a bad joke. But y- I'm going to bring laughter into the midst of my world because that's who I am. Mission is another one. Mission is a place that we should have unity. And our mission is to make Jesus known. Our, our mission is to affect people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the single most important mission we've been given. Period. Now, there's other things that are there are m- m- missions below that. There may be things that we can do, but but if you if if you want us to be like a single like issue political church, we're not going to be that. I mean, we're just, we can't be. That's not the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus was 2,000 years old. The mission of America is only 240 years old. And one's eternal, the other isn't. And so we're going to be about the mission of Jesus. And so there's other things that are going to be there. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, that, you know, I'm not in favor of America. I am. Uh, Jesus didn't die for America. He died for the world. And, and so we have to make sure that Jesus is at the top of everything that's going on in our world. In our lives, individually, in us collectively at church, we, we just have to do that. Well, we need to be involved in the political process and all those things. It's our responsibility as a follower of Jesus. But it cannot become the mission of the church. The mission of the church is not to change America. The mission of the church is to see lives changed one person at a time. And I'll tell you that if we want to change America, that is the way to do it. Change one life at a time. A little bit more subversive, a little bit more grassroots, shall we say. And that's how we're going to change America. We're going to change America one life at a time by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to really bring it change. Okay, the last area of unity is relational. This is the one that he was really poking at when, when he wrote it. Obviously, people are the only things that are eternal relationships between people are extremely important. So when Paul is writing this and telling the two women of Philippi to fix their relationship, he was reiterating something that Jesus taught. Now I want you to think about this for just a moment. Worship to the Jewish people was really high on the priority list. Okay, The the Jewish people, when they went to, to worship at the temple, it was huge, okay? They would travel great distances to, to be at temple worship, and they did that once a year. They do, you know, but, but when they gathered, it was really, really important, okay? But Jesus said this in Matthew 5. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now think for just a moment. The, the, the worship in the temple was like, like up here, like really high. Jesus was totally blowing their minds when he said that. He's saying, look, you might be having an incredible moment of worship, but if something hits you and you remember that you've got to fix something with somebody, you need to go and get that done. Then come and worship. In fact, I think he's probably given us a principle that if we really want our worship to mean what it needs to mean and what it ought to mean to God, we got to make sure that our horizontal relationships on this planet are where they ought to be. Because if our horizontal relationships with the people around us aren't good, our worship doesn't mean as much as it would. Jesus was saying, your worship to God actually is secondary to your relationship with the people that you have 
relationship with. You've got to fix those. And that's what Jesus was saying. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying these people in the church at Philippi, look, fix that problem. Don't let that problem destroy what God is doing in your community, in your church, in your world. You can't do that. Whatever the problem is, fix it. He even helps somebody, even says, hey, look, would you help be a little mediator here? Would you help bring that process together and help it happen? And I'm sure that they worked it through. So look, this morning, if you're sitting here and you know that you have something that you need to fix, that you know somebody has something against you, and, and, and you know the relationship isn't maybe where it ought to be, you need to go and get it done as quickly as possible. So this morning, if you're in the room and, and the other person's in the room that later in the service, you, you can just connect up during the last song, sometime afterward, and just connect up and walk that through. Because if you can walk that through, the relationships are going to be up. And you know what's going to happen? Restored relationship is going to bring joy. If you will do that, not only in your family or your, in, in relationships with the people in the church, whatever it is, wherever those places are, I'm encouraging you this morning to do it as fast as possible. That's what Jesus' principle was. He was saying, if you find yourself worshiping, go get it done. Before you finish your offering of worship, get it done. And so that's what he's saying. So, so joy is found in unity. Joy is found in right perspective as well. Verses 4 through 7. Here's the, the bookend of the verse from a, 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 last week that talking about joy. And here it is, verse 4, the one that we know really well. But I'm going to read it to you in New Living, so it's going to be a little different. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Joy can be an emotion. Joy can be a decision. This is the decision kind of joy. This is the, de- this is the one that you're deciding. This is probably what even, what even Paul wrote about to to the church in Galatia in, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. The Holy Spirit produces joy in our lives. Joy that can be found when circumstances don't produce an emotion of joy. Joy when there's difficulty. Joy when life isn't fair. Joy because perspective is right. Life is not all there is. You have to understand that if we can only have joy when our life circumstances are good, then there's going to be many times we don't have joy. But as a follower of Jesus, we ought to have joy. Look, how do we get right perspectives? How do we get the right perspective? We do it by recognizing that Jesus is going to return soon. Now look, they've been saying it for 2,000 years, right? Paul's writing it. Hey, Jesus is coming soon. Recognize this. Life is short. If Jesus doesn't come today or he doesn't come tomorrow, we just got to believe he's coming soon. If he doesn't come soon, our life is ending soon. We're going to experience it one way or the other. Life is short. So the perspective can't be about the earth. It has to be about 
eternity, how we navigate that together. That's what it's got to be. And when we start getting our eyes off of here and we start looking there, it changes perspective. Just like we talked about last week, hope is found in the future. Hope is found in Christ. When we get our eyes off of circumstances, we can start to have hope. We can start to have joy. We can have peace. All those things are to come because our eyes are focused in the right place. There's a right perspective. Look, as a follower of Jesus, now I'm going to rebuke some people in a moment, and you're just going to have to live with it, okay? But as a follower of Jesus, we have to have joy. Look, we can never say, never, this world is going to go, if so-and-so gets elected. Who is your God? I'm just saying, who is your God? If circumstances are going to destroy our joy, and if our election cycle is going to destroy our joy, we got the wrong God on the platform. Okay? We were singing a while ago. We all sung it well. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. We'll sing it in the church, but we'll destroy it when we listen to the news. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. If your fear quotient goes up because of stuff going on around you, you've got your eyes in the wrong spot. You've got to get your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the guy. He, none of these other people are the guy. Jesus is the guy. So get your eyes there. Right perspective. Right perspective is going to bring joy into our lives. Look, th- that's why you have to find humor in tough circumstances. That's why you got to find joy in the midst of difficulty. Because it's not about this life. It's about eternity. Hey, what kind of message are we going to send when we go, you know what? I'm going to work hard for whatever candidate I want to see elected. I'm going to work hard to do it. But you know what? Whether he serves or they serve, I don't care who serves. I know this Jesus is still ruling and reigning. So I'm going to be okay. Look, there's nobody in this room that's got it as bad as Paul did. There's nobody in this room that had it as bad as the Philippians did. Nobody. Paul's in prison. He's one up on you already. All right? Nobody in here is being held against their will. Unless you're here with a parent. Maybe. (laughs) Think about it. Paul is telling the church at Philippi, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. You're going through difficulty. You're going through tough stuff. You're going to experience rough things. You aren't going to see everything. Look, the Roman culture wasn't the best one to serve Jesus in, if I remember correctly. But you know what they did? They flipped the place upside down in the first century because of the love of Christ, and they changed it by the third century. If I'm not mistaken, they flipped that place around because of the power of Christ in their lives. That's what we've got to know. 
that's what we've got to believe. We've got to live life knowing that Jesus is bigger than anything we see. Bigger than any. Look, the biggest problem that we faced in the year 2000, 1999 and 2000, is we were controlled by fear. We can never let it happen again. We must be the people of God. If anybody's going to speak to the culture, it's got to be the follower of Jesus who understands the culture and who's trusting Jesus to know he's going to walk us through it. The follower of Christ must have joy always. I'll quit preaching and go to the next point. Where was I? Okay, here. Joy is found in right thinking. It goes right along with it, doesn't it? All right, here you go. Verse 8 9. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. That's a good point in the sermon. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Much of our lives a result of what we are thinking. I'm not going into crazy things on positive thought and all that. I'm not. I'm just telling you, Paul writes this, and he gives instructions to the church at Philippi, and he says, think about these things. Look, one of the best things you can do is think the best of others. Don't, don't look at the problems. Look for the best. Let me give you an illustration. How many of you, when you're driving someplace, need to be the driver? Because you don't trust the person that is the alternative to drive. Anybody, anybody, uh, some don't like driving, I get it. And you guys, you have faith and trust and you don't struggle in this area, but for some of us, for some of us, we don't like it when somebody else drives. See, because some people, when they drive, they stop a lot closer and a lot faster than we think they ought to. Like, because when you're driving along and, and they stop hard and your head does that, that's a little too fast. I'm just saying. I'm not talking about my wife at the moment, okay? I just want to clarify this. She does, she inherited that trait from her father. (laughs) Okay, but here's the deal. What happens to me when I'm riding a car with those people? I'm holding on to the little thing here and I'm I'm all tensed up and I'm like, ah! (laughs) Am I the only one? Okay, 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 okay. So you're with me. Okay. But you know what I have to remind myself? Here's what I have to think about. This is what I have to think about when, in those moments. How many accidents have these people had? And in this case, the people that I drive with is zero. Okay, they've never had one. But I'm over here all tense with my arm holding on to the little handle. And I'm like, if there was armrests in an airplane like that. I mean, you know, think about it. I mean, you know, the, the pilot that's flying that plane and you're stressed out over it, he's never wrecked one. Okay? But you're gripping that armrest like you're going to die. You're not thinking about good things. 
right? When you get on a, some of you won't fly. I know people won't fly. They'll, they'll drive across the country because they won't fly. Why? Because they're scared the plane's going to drop out of the sky. I'm not thinking that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent, worthy of praise. You know, I know that that's a weird illustration, but when you think about that, when you get your mind thinking on all the negatives, your blood pressure is going up. (laughs) You're going through a lot of stress you don't need to go through. And Paul's actually helping you here. He was helping the church at Philippi. He said, look, yeah, I mean, he could have said, yeah, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Caesar could come and kill you any moment, but keep putting into practice all you've learned from me. It wasn't a great environment. And yet Paul says, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable excellent and worthy of praise. Now, there were probably a bunch of those things in the church that they could think about. But remember, this church was going through struggle and there were some things that they didn't have to think about. And we know their culture didn't have a lot of this to think about. And yet, Paul's saying, think about those things because it's going to help you. And if you'll do these things and you'll put these things into practice, then you're going to experience the peace of God. He's going to be with you. You know what? You're going to have joy. You're going to have joy because of the decision. You're going to have joy because it's an emotion. You're going to have joy because God is ruling and reigning on a throne, and you're fully cognizant of that. You know exactly who's in charge, and you're not scared. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. This morning... I trust that you will see that joy is found in changed lives, that joy is found in unity, that joy is found in right perspective, that joy is found in right thinking. So the question is, what area or areas is God at work in your life? Do you need to start with this life change? Decide to follow Jesus. That's where it starts. It all starts there. Decide to follow Jesus. If you find yourself navigating a world that you are a slave to fear in, you need to become a child of God. Decide to follow Jesus. It's a simple prayer that changes all kinds of things and starts a journey. It's a prayer that says, Jesus, I want to follow you. Understand he's willing to forgive you of all your sin and just say, Jesus, help me to follow you. If you want to do that this morning, I encourage you during the song that we're going to sing here in just a couple minutes, there'll be some prayer teams up here at the front. Come and pray with one of them. Tell them what you want to do. They'll pray with you. They'll encourage you. They'll even help you with some next steps. We'll help you get going in the right direction so that you can be a follower of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, my question is, who are the people you are praying and expecting to experience a changed life. Who are you going to invite to Easter? Who are you sharing your faith with? Who are you working on to become your joy and your crown of changed lives? Talk unity for a moment. Is there someone here that you need to talk with for the sake of the unity of the church, sake of the unity of your family, 
work on those relationships and you'll experience joy. Make plans to do something as quick as possible. During the last song, do it. Walk over to somebody, talk to them, call them after service, call them on your way home. Do whatever it makes. Make an appointment, make it happen. Do it quickly. Right perspective. Are you focused on the eternal or the temporal? Are you focused on the things of God or the things of this life? Right thinking. What controls the majority of your thought life? Is it good things or bad things? Think on good things. You'll experience joy. You'll experience the peace of God. Let's pray.